we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices radio show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, April the 17th, 2020. I am your host, April Lafleur, and I'm joined here today by my guest co-host, Leah Thompson. Hello. And Grace Wampold. Hi there. Welcome everyone. Today is our annual Earth Day show. Earth Day occurs on April the 22nd. We are here for another week of original programming at Animal Voices in these COVID times. The radio station is still physically locked down, but we bring you this show via the wonders of recording and Skype technology. We're all on Skype together again today. So this week marks the beginning of the Vancouver Co-op Radio annual spring member fundraising drive. Now, if you're a new co-op radio listener, what does that mean? You might be asking, well, did you know that Vancouver Co-op Radio is a listener-owned and volunteer-powered radio society? We're also a charitable organization, and the dozens of programmers among us work hard to bring you quality, original content and programming every day here at Co-op Radio. This includes the Animal Voices show, and we'll be speaking more about this in a bit, and hope you can help support the station within your means during this trying time. Now these days, as you probably know, we are experiencing the collapse of biology of our planet. Not only is there the climate crisis that we're admits, but we're now dealing with and trying to fight the global pandemic of 2020 called the coronavirus COVID-19. This virus is affecting the whole world, peaking at 2 million total cases in the world as of this week, and about 150,000 deaths globally so far. Here in Canada, we have 30 thousand confirmed cases of infected people and over 900 deaths. And this was all caused by the way we treat animals. For our feature interview today for Earth Day, we'll have Dr. Aisha Akhtar on the show, who is a double board certified neurologist and preventive medicine slash public health specialist, as well as a fellow of the Oxford Center of Animal Ethics. She'll be with us to tell us all about zoonotic diseases, the rise of pandemics such as COVID-19, and what we can do as a society to save the earth from future pandemics, as it is all up to us. That interview is coming up in about 13 minutes, so please do stay tuned. So we're seeing some unexpected or unplanned impacts of COVID-19 in our society that has now been in isolation for the past four weeks about. And some of these impacts have to do with the animal agriculture industry, such as the dairy industry, which has made the news this past week. Grace, can you tell us about this, please? Yes. Dairy farmers across the UK, the US and Canada 
have been dumping thousands of liters of milk after the demand from cafes and restaurants and offices as well have been plummeting due to closures due to the coronavirus. So governments have been suggesting to dairy farmers, which of course are subsidized, to dump thousands of liters just right down the drain because they're essentially trying to maintain prices at the same cost. And this is obviously quite distressing for many people, considering the fact that in grocery stores, it's much harder to find milk. But farmers are used to selling to specific outlets that are just not buying in the same way they bought before. So some people have been saying that this will prevent cows from being killed. Essentially, they're maintaining the same process of artificially inseminating cows so that we won't have to reduce the number of cows being bred. And they're continuing to milk them rather than sell them for beef. So it's a really complex issue currently. You know what I think of when I've been reading about this this past few days is obviously that's such a huge waste of the milk, right? And as as an animal rights activist myself, I think, well, where are the baby calves in all of this? It's because the mother cows are forced to produce and get pregnant with baby calves because that's how they lactate. That's how they make milk, in case you didn't know. And they're separated from their mothers within the first day of birth so that humans can consume the milk. And now, because the restaurants are closed, the humans can't consume the calves' milk. The calves are seemingly still being separated. They're sent off either to produce veal or they're sent off to become dairy cows themselves if they're babies. So that's just what me, as a person who cares about animals, thinks about all of this. Also, a lot of wastage. What about you, Leah? What thoughts come to your mind with regards to the way we treat animals, Earth Day, destruction of our planet. I think something that I thought of when I saw the milk being dumped was that I think a lot of people don't buy milk anymore, but they still won't make a distinction when they go out to the cafe or they go anywhere. They don't make the distinction to get the plant-based milk because it's more expensive or because they just don't think to do it. So it makes sense to me that dairy sales are dropping so much, seeing as though a lot of it's going straight to restaurants that are now closed. Yeah, I think that's a great point, especially because, you know, on regular, there is somewhere of 16 to 20% of milk that's already being dumped for the same reason annually that to begin with buying dairy products at cafes and at restaurants had already gone down in the past couple years. And now that cafes are closed, I think we're seeing how unstable the dairy industry really is overall for exactly what you just said, Leah, that people aren't really buying it in their own homes anymore. Jake Conroy, the cranky vegan, made a video about the drop in dairy sales. And from his research, he found that the reason dairy sales were dropping was because the consumption of cereal for as a breakfast meal has been dropping. So because people aren't having a bowl of cereal with milk in it, they aren't buying jugs of milk anymore. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Grace, just to just to close some final thoughts here. What do you think about? Uh, I mean, it's not just it's not just milk. Actually, farmers are throwing out millions of eggs as well. It's it's all these products that we're making from the animal agriculture industry, just as as something for the future. I think this can be a lesson that should be learned, you know. And what do you see the lesson out there for Earth Day this year? I think it's really important to buy from farmers directly because farmers have different outlets and a lot of them depend on restaurants because we're not purchasing local produce the way we should. So 
people like onion farmers are seeing only about 15% of the regular sales. And we're focusing on dairy, but that's something that is subsidized by our government. And we should be really considering how this impacts our planet and how buying produce is a very important way to not only support our environment, but also support our economy and our community. That's a great point. And you're right. It's also, I'm seeing millions of onions being thrown out as well. And I read that that's because people don't make onion rings at home. They go out to restaurants. So that's why we need (laughs) all the onions. (laughs) Didn't know if you knew that. Well, thank you for those thoughts. We shall continue in a moment. We may all be in social isolation, but even when times are tough, Vancouver Co-op Radio continues to rule the airwaves with your favorite community talk and music shows. You can support us today by visiting coopradio.org slash donate now. And donate some money for us. Vancouver Co-op Radio, your isolation station. We are back here on Animal Voices at Vancouver Co-op Radio. So did you two know that Vancouver Co-op Radio has had a birthday this week? Yes, 45 years. Co-op Radio is actually older than I am. So this is the first week of our Vancouver Co-op Radio annual spring member fundraising drive. And why do we have a fundraising drive, you might ask? Well, that's because we're completely listener-owned and we're volunteer-run. Us here at Animal Voices are all volunteers. I've been a volunteer at Co-op Radio and Animal Voices for 10 and a half years because I'm passionate about educating the public, the community, the world, because we're on podcast now. You can listen to us at Google Play and iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and also at animalvoices.org. You can hear all the many, many hundreds of shows of archives we have there for the past 10 years since I came on this radio show, which actually the show's been around for way longer. It's got basically about at least a 20-year history. And we're here every week to bring you programming that has to do with animal advocacy from all kinds of different angles and perspectives and compassionate living. That is, we promote the vegan lifestyle. That is why I was going to say I come to the radio station every week. These days, I come to my microphone and my computer and Skype every week to record with you. Co-op radio is so important to me because we don't have to, we're not bound by sponsors. For example, we don't have the Dairy Council of Canada sponsoring us, so we were able to just present the last segment that we did right on on things like on the truth on the truth of what's happening to animals because so many corporations are actually tied into animal abuse and we don't have to answer to that we're able to give you the truth here at co-op radio that other media outlets wouldn't be able to do so that's why i'm here at co-op radio and leah and grace you both recently have joined as volunteers this year since about january i've been bringing you on the show basically as much as possible and leah I'm so happy to know that you actually just got your Co-op Radio membership this week. So can you tell us, why did you get a membership to Vancouver Co-op Radio? And why is Animal Voices important to you? Well, yeah, I just got my membership this week because I wanted to be able to support the radio, but also our show specifically. Like you said, we provide our own perspective in a way that isn't controlled by any sort of corporation or industry. We are able to speak on what's important to us and bring in uh, interviews of people who we find inspiring, whose voices we want to highlight. 
So I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have interviewed the people who I have so far and for your help in taking us on and also giving us all the tools we need in order to be able to produce the things that we want to. So yeah, I'm really happy so far and happy to be helping the show. And yourself, Grace, you're more recently participating on the show, which is awesome. You're in school as well. Both of you are university students, and you're both super smart, super knowledgeable, and have great voices to share to the public, I think. Grace, do you have your membership yet at Co-op Radio? I don't yet. Yeah, I'm so excited and eager to get my membership during the fundraising drive. I'm really honored to be a part of Co-op Radio, and I want to be able to support them however I can. And in the springtime, I think it's the perfect time and during coronavirus to give my money towards a cause I care about. That's awesome because this fundraising drive actually just started this week and it goes until April the 26th. So for anyone who's listening out there who supports the show and, you know, you maybe wanted to make a donation. So basically making a donation and getting a membership at Co-op Radio, they're the same thing. And you can do that all at coopradio.org as one option. And when you make that donation of whatever you can, and I always say that any amount counts, it goes towards the amount that we have to raise at Animal Voices to keep our show on the air. And all that is part of the money that we need basically to maintain our very modest budget at co-op radio we've got just a small handful of part-time staff and like i said the rest is run like all the shows are run by volunteers a little goes a long way yeah and speaking of the coronavirus you know we're all sort of stuck at home these days i've actually been going out running a lot these days and i have to say that i'm getting back into catching up on my podcast feed and guess what our show is podcasted as well so if you go to Mm. itunes or google play and it's just really the easiest thing just to be able to scroll through our shows and say oh i want to listen to this one i want to listen to this one you just add them to your feed so while people have time actually maybe just because it's a slower pace of life these days you can do that and it is all free like we create this free content because we want to get the information out there we're not getting paid as volunteers like I said but this is something that you know you have to do things in your life that basically fuel your passions and are going to make a difference in the world and it's our rent to the world to be activists right and this is the rent that I pay to live on this earth and I'm so excited about sharing today's interview for example with Dr. Aisha Akhtar you're gonna really enjoy it whoever you are listening in your car at home you know wherever you might be or just uh, browsing our website I really encourage you to go through our shows and listen and if you can support us during these difficult times Because, you know, people have lost their jobs, totally get that, totally understand that. But like I said, a little goes a long way. And, uh, you know, when I'm struggling myself financially and I hear pleas by organizations that I really support, you know, I just feel so impassioned by what they believe in and what they're doing. I'll go online and I'll make a $5 donation. And if everyone here today was listening and made a $5 donation, that would be amazing. We would meet our fundraising goal. So I do encourage people to do that. You can also do a sustaining monthly donation from your bank account, which the radio station really appreciates because that means guaranteed income as we do run on a tight budget every year. And you can go to, once again, coopradio.org and click on donate. You can also send in a check to the station if you want to do a one-time donation 
information for those of you who still use checks. I will give the address right here right now. Check or cash, actually, they take cash. So the address is Vancouver Co-op Radio, 370 Columbia Street, Vancouver, BC, V6A4J1. And there's also the final option of sending an e-transfer and send it to admin at coopradio.org. And just put a note in there that this is going to be supporting Animal Voices. As with any donation that you can afford, we would just appreciate that so much. For our feature interview today, for Earth Day, we have Dr. Aisha Akhtar on the show. Dr. Akhtar is a double board certified neurologist and preventive medicine and public health specialist. She serves as the CEO of the Center for Contemporary Sciences based in the Washington DC area and is also a fellow of the Oxford Center for Animal Ethics. Dr. Akhtar has authored the book, Animals and Public Health, Why Treating Animals Better is Critical to Human Welfare, and it examines how the treatment of animals impact human health. And in her TED Talk, Dr. Akhtar discusses how treating animals better is not only good for animals, but also good for humans. Dr. Akhtar has spoken and written extensively on the connection between animal protection and human health, and she is here today on our Earth Day show to speak to us about zoonotic diseases, pandemics, and the outbreak of the coronavirus known as COVID-19 that is taking over life in the world on our planet as we know it these days. Hello, Dr. Akhtar, and welcome to the Animal Voices show. Thanks for having me here. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule today as we record this interview earlier in the week. I know you've been busy working on the COVID-19 crisis, and we are coming to the one-month mark now when things started to become very serious in North America with this pandemic, with both the U.S. and Canadian governments shutting down all non-essential businesses and schools and declaring to their citizens that they must stay inside as much as possible and maintain a space of at least two meters or six feet between others to lessen the chance of catching the virus, as this is a very contagious virus. I've been checking the number of rising infections in Canada and in other countries across the world on a daily basis for weeks now. And the numbers are still drastically climbing here in Canada and in the U.S., which has the most infected people in all countries in the world. At the time of this broadcast, we are seeing about three quarters of a million confirmed cases of COVID in the U.S. and nearly 30,000 confirmed cases in Canada. So in a frenzied world these days where people know that the virus came from China, we have you on the show today to explain exactly how a virus like this can be spread by the animals we eat. And let's start in the wet markets in China. Could you paint a picture of exactly what a wet market is and the circumstances and conditions that take place for bacteria and viruses to breed and spread? Sure. So wet markets are really, they're, they're, they're live markets. Basically, they're markets where live animals are sold. They're sold to be eaten or sold for other purposes, like to be used for traditional medicines and, and so on. And these are animals who've either been bred in captivity or caught through the wildlife trade, taken out of their natural habitats, ripped apart from their families, And they are piled into and crammed into flimsy cages and boxes and crates. 
and placed in these market areas. And these, as you can imagine, these are incredibly cruel markets. The conditions in which the animals are kept, the conditions in which the animals were transported to get to these markets, just being even ripped apart from their natural habitats. We're talking about a variety of different species who are incredibly distressed, incredibly sick because of the, the circumstances in which they're treated. And so what happens is we're, we're seeing animals who are so distressed that their immune systems are down. And that's what happens with humans when we're stressed, when we're upset, when anything else is going on that can affect our mental health and, and, and in other ways our physical health, our immune system can go down. And that makes us more susceptible to catching other infections from other people and from other animals. And so in these live markets, you have a variety of different species brought together in ways that they may not be brought together in their natural habitat. So you may bring pangolins into contact with fruit bats, whether we're talking about direct contact or having humans as the mediator between the, the bats and the, the pangolins, for example. So you're bringing a variety of different species into contact who may not have had this contact before, and animals who are incredibly immunocompromised and they're sick and they're miserable, conditions are bad, unsanitary, and so it makes it so easy for a virus to transfer from one animal to another, to another, to another, and ultimately to humans, which is what we suspect happened with COVID-19. And it has been confirmed that this did come from bats and spread from the bats to the pangolins who are being sold in the live wet markets. For those of our listeners who don't know, could you describe for us, please, what is a pangolin? I've never seen a pangolin myself, but I believe they're, a kind, they're considered what, what is called a scaly anteater, and they're just prized in some sectors in Asia as meat. We suspect that the ultimate source may have been fruit bats, and fruit bats carry many different viruses, but we normally, you know, Again, if we leave them alone, if we leave the fruit bats alone, we leave the pangolins alone, we're less likely to get into contact with these viruses. And so we have to consider fruit bats are also a victim of this trade in animals, this wildlife trade. And so that's, again, they, at some point in the wildlife trade, the virus may have passed from a fruit bat onto pangolins or other species that we have yet identified, and then ultimately into humans. Right. A scaly anteater is how I would describe the pangolins as well. We did a show about the plight of the pangolins a couple years ago. If people want to check that out, they can look up that episode at animalvoices.org. And that is because the pangolins are highly trafficked, illegally trafficked in China. It's an illegal trade. Now, of course, China isn't the only place in the world where such confined and unhygienic conditions of animals kept for food exist. We have them all over the world, especially here in North America, where both Canadians and Americans have voracious appetites for eating a variety of different animals, including chickens, pigs, fish, lambs, cows, turkeys, ducks, and more. 
No, we don't eat pangolins, and no, we don't eat dogs, but meat consumption is rampant in our North American society, and a lot of zoonotic diseases, that is, a disease passed from animals to humans, as you've been explaining, and pandemics have occurred here as a result of our own standard animal agriculture systems. Can you speak on the history of past and present zoonotic diseases that we see being cultivated in our regular agriculture systems of raising animals such as pigs, chickens, and cows here in North America? Right. So we are seeing a number of what we call emerging infectious diseases, and that that is just new diseases or infections spread into areas where they may not have been before. And right now, about three-fourths of these emerging infectious diseases, these new viruses that we're seeing, are coming from other animals. And what needs to be highly emphasized is that this is not the animal's fault. The reason why we're seeing this rise in infectious diseases is because of how humans are interacting with other animals, how we are treating other animals. So we talked about the live market. And that is just the tip of the iceberg in how we can catch and how we have caught new viruses from other animals. The live market is just one small section, and a lot of focus is on it right now just because we think maybe that's the source for this current COVID. But there are so many ways in which we can catch infectious diseases by how we treat other animals. So going beyond the live market, there's the entire wildlife trade. So much of the focus is on the illegal parts of the wildlife trade. We need to look at the entire trade of animals because the entire trade of animals is culpable in passing on new infectious diseases. A virus doesn't care if it's being transmitted through the legal or the illegal trade in animals. And so if we really seriously want to address these root causes and prevent the next pandemic, we have to look beyond the, the live markets, beyond the illegal trade in animals, and look at the entire trade in animals. And that also includes looking at how much we eat animals and our high consumption of animals. So we have factory farms throughout, and factory farms have taken over all other types of what we would normally call the the family farms. And so this is throughout the world. Factory farms are rampant in Asia. They're rampant in the United States, North America, Europe, and they're increasing elsewhere as well. Now, when we're talking about factory farms, we're talking about sometimes you know, thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of animals crammed into a shed, crammed into a shed. They may be caged, they may be what's called free range, but they're still crammed into these sheds. And again, just like the live markets, these animals in these factory farms are treated horribly, they suffer immensely, and their immune systems are down as well. And so you've got a double whammy here. You have animals who are so miserable that their immune systems are down, And they're so crowded, they're so compact that it makes it so easy again for a virus to pass from one animal to another to another and spread like wildfire. And so what we have seen in the past is we've seen a number of different viruses and mostly what we're talking about are viruses that ultimately are the influenza virus. So we're talking about different variations of avian influenza and swine influenza. And the reason why the influenza virus is especially concerning is because it can very, very rapidly become airborne. 
And we're looking at the case fatality rate right now of the COVID, which it varies depending on the stats for the day, but it could be 2 to 3%, maybe a little bit higher. There was a case of highly pathogenic avian influenza, H5N1, in the early 2000s that had a case fatality rate of 60%. That means that 60% of the people who caught the virus died. That's a huge huge. There's no comparison between COVID and this H5N1. So if I can go back, when we're talking about an influenza, all influenza viruses, we believe, come from wild aquatic animals. But we rarely get sick from direct contact with these animals. And we're talking about ducks and geese and other aquatic animals. And what we have learned is that Something has to happen to the influenza virus to make it something that's very lethal and infectious in humans, and this is where factory farms come in. And studies have shown that an influenza virus can easily enter a bird, a chicken, a turkey, or a pig factory farm. And then once it does, as I mentioned before, it can spread like wildfire, and each time the virus passes into another animal, it can mutate. And the more it mutates, the more likely we're going to see a virus emerge that is both very deadly and contagious. We've been lucky so far. We've had H1N1 back in 2009. At the time, we were concerned that that was going to be a terrible pandemic. What happened was that the swine flu did spread easily among humans, but it turned out not to be very deadly. But as I mentioned, we've just been very, very lucky. And if we really, truly want to prevent the next pandemic, something that could be even worse than what we're facing today, we have to look at all the ways in which we interact with other animals. That includes live markets, includes the illegal trade in animals, it includes the legal trade, wildlife trade in animals, and includes factory farming. Thank you for that. That was very informative. As for the wet markets in China, I understand that they were shut down as a result of COVID-19, but actually just read a few days ago that they are starting to reopen again. I know they were also shut down during the SARS epidemic back in 2001 to 2003, but then they also came back. As you were speaking about, the pangolin is already a very heavily trafficked animal in China and sold illegally. I understand the law enforcement for these types of bans in China is virtually non-existent. And as of just last week, the Chinese government has just drafted a law that would actually make the sale of dog meat illegal in China. So what do you think this pandemic of animal-borne disease is teaching us about our society? How do you think society is going to respond in the future? What will we learn? China is, as we said, taking some action, but we have distinct parallels with the way we market animals to eat here in North America and the Western world. Do you think North Americans will realize one day that this is killing us and perhaps start to institute governmental and personal change? And does it take the loss of thousands of lives to scare society into such action as we are on the brink of disaster? Unfortunately, I think it will take the loss of thousands, hundreds, maybe millions of lives before we do wake up as a species and truly, truly take a hard look at how we are causing these infectious diseases to emerge. Right now, there's a call for um, by some public health agencies 
to you know ban the the live markets in China and, and some in New York, for example. Frankly, that call is a little too little, too late. We knew about these live markets, but back in 2003 with the SARS outbreak, we knew the risks then, and the call wasn't made. There wasn't a, a widespread call to shut down these markets. So, okay, so let's say that we do. We at this point now we do manage to shut down these these live markets. As I mentioned before, that's just one part of the the entire equation of how we are getting these infectious diseases. And it's so easy for us here in North America to look elsewhere, to look at other countries and point the blame to other countries and say it is all their fault and they need to make the change and not put a mirror up to ourselves and see what are we doing that could be causing the next pandemic. Frankly, our, our public health agencies have failed us and they are continuing to fail us by not taking a look at all of these ways that these infectious diseases are emerging and looking at where the next pandemic will likely come from. And unfortunately, I do think that you know, we we humans have a way of just we forget. We forget so quickly. It's important to get this information out now while it's still on people's minds because I do fear that once the COVID-19 subsides and it will subside eventually. We'll either get a vaccine developed or enough people will have been exposed to the to the virus that we have developed herd immunity. Once that the virus this epidemic this pandemic subsides, my fear is that we will just go back to doing things the way we did. Slowly we'll see wildlife trade creep back open in many areas, and again, here in North America and in other places that have factory farmings, we won't take a look at these factory farms as sources of next pandemic. Well, as of last week, some animal slaughterhouses in the U.S. are being shut down now due to the COVID-19 outbreaks. A slaughter plant in Colorado was shut down last week after over 300 workers were found to be infected with the virus. And the large Smithfield pig slaughterhouse in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, has now been indefinitely shut down after an outbreak last week with over 600 cases now stemming just from that slaughterhouse and over 900 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the county. As a vegan, I'm really surprised that the process of killing animals in the dirtiest places ever, where we already know that pathogens exist, would be considered to be an essential service. What do you think, Dr. Akhtar? Will our North American governments wake up one day soon, perhaps very soon? Well, I guess you've said no, but is there a hope to put these places to a close in the same fashion that shopping malls, schools, and community centers have all been shut down? We already know that eating meat is completely non-essential, but not only that, it's what got us into this crisis in the first place. Yeah, well, the you know the pro there, there's a couple of problems you know with with the the notion the idea to to think that these slaughterhouses and factory farms will be shut down anytime soon, and one is that you know there's there's a, a heavy economic interest in keeping these places open, and the other is you know our public health agencies the the people who work at these public health agencies majority of them eat animals unfortunately they have a really strong blind spot when it comes to looking at how we treat animals who end up on our dinner plates and how that treatment 
can cause the next pandemic. And that's, as I mentioned before, I think that's a huge failure on the part of our public health agencies. I don't have any high optimism that we will wake up in North America about anytime soon, at least, about the risk of these infectious diseases coming from factory farms. Now, I will say that I have seen some articles coming out in papers in the UK, but not here in the United States. We don't see that in the New York Times. We don't see these articles in the Washington Post. We're not seeing it in the mainstream news media. We're not seeing this link between factory farming and the potential emergence of new infectious diseases. Well, from what I understand, there are currently 36 facilities in the world that are developing a vaccine for COVID-19. A vaccine in China has been developed, and it skipped the animal trials and went straight to human trial to speed up the process in this urgent time. And we've been told that it will take about 18 months until it or another vaccine is ready. And I understand that vaccines normally take 10 to 15 years to develop. So this is really quick. Can you tell us more about the process of creating a usable vaccine for this virus and the roles that animals kept captive in laboratories usually have in the process of creating such medicines? Vaccines are actually one of the easiest. When we think about the drugs that we develop, vaccines are, it's not technically a drug, but it's actually one of the easiest types of medical products to develop because Basically, we know what we're doing in in many regards. And with a vaccine, what you're doing is you're either taking a part of a virus or you're taking the entire, the whole virus and you basically inactivate it. So in, in, a, in a way, you kill the virus so it's not infectious. And you put that into a solution, you inject it to into humans so that our immune system is challenged. And so we develop this robust, immune memory to these particles of viruses or the the entire virus again, so that if we ever come across the live virus, if we ever come across and become infected with the virus itself, our immune system is already geared, it's ready, it has that memory from the vaccine, so it's better able to fight the infection. And so, you know, vaccines have been developed and they've been around for a long time for many different infections. But as you mentioned, it can take a long time to develop. It can take up to 10 to 15 years and some vaccines take a shorter time period. Despite the fact that what we're trying to do is relatively easy to understand in vaccine development. The reason why it can take so long is that if we're looking at particles of viruses to challenge a person's immune system, to boost a person's immune system, we want to know what parts of the virus should we use in the vaccine. And we also want to know, is the vaccine going to be safe? And I'm not anti-vaccine by any means. I, I take the flu vaccine every year. But there are some safety concerns with vaccines. Vaccines can have caused neurological disorders in the past. A swine vaccine in the past has caused high rates of neurological diseases, adverse effects. So there can be a safety concern with vaccines as well. Traditionally, vaccines are developed and their effectiveness, so do they work and their safety, and are are they safe for use, has traditionally been done in animals. And the problem is, is that, for one thing, we know as a whole that animal experimentation is incredibly ineffective, unreliable, and inefficient 
in understanding how something is going to work in the human body. And this has been coming out more and more in the medical literature, this high failure rate, you know, 90 to 95% failure rate in animal testing to translate into effective medicines for humans. And so with the COVID-19 vaccine, the inefficiencies in the development of this vaccine is that researchers are scrambling trying to find animals that will be infected with the virus and that will show the same types of symptoms that we see in humans. And every species is going to react differently. Fruit bats carry the virus, but they don't get sick from the virus. Many species can carry the virus and not get sick. They can just be what we call carriers. Or if a species does get sick from the virus, they may get sick in a very different way. And so if we continue to rely on the use of animal experiments to develop vaccines, we're going to have a long, long lag time before we see a vaccine developed that's going to be safe and effective in humans because animal experimentation is just inefficient. And we've certainly done quite a number of interviews and shows about that on Animal Voices. Next week is actually the World Week for Animals in Laboratories, and we'll be doing some special programming for that, so please tune in next Friday. And thank you for explaining this, Dr. Akhtar. It is completely ineffective, and it it just doesn't make sense that animals with completely different biologies and body systems would react the same as humans. And in fact, from what I understand, a drug that is developed for a human being will have different kinds of effects on different human beings as well. But that's a whole nother thing to get into, right? Right. We we know, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're, we're getting into the era in medicine where we're talking about personalized medicine, because what may be safe and effective for you may not be safe and effective for me. What may be safe and effective for a Caucasian male may not be safe and effective for an African-American female. And if we know that there are these vast differences within our own species, how can we reliably think that we can safely extrapolate information from another animal into humans? Yes, there are overlaps in our biology. Of course, there are overlaps. There are many things we share in our biology. But the problem is, is that it's the differences in our biology, the differences between species that cause the problems. I understand that some successful treatments for COVID-19 are being used in places like India and China. I recently watched a video by a doctor in China who speaks of killing the virus with vitamin C successfully. Do you know about this? And would you like to add anything about what we can do in our diets to build immunity against viruses in general? I don't know about the vitamin C case. Uh, you know, it, with, with every claim, it, they all have to be taken with a grain of salt. You know, that's why we consider clinical trials the gold standard because they're done in a, in a way that best gives us the information we need to know whether something is truly being effective or not. And so I'm very hesitant to comment on anyone's claims that this might cure people or this, this particular product might kill the virus until we have really solid scientific information. In general, by keeping ourselves healthy, we do help build our immunity in general, again. But again, I don't want to say that by having a strong immune system, each one of us is necessarily going to be protected against the virus because I can't make that claim. But I think that we can all do what we can do is try to keep ourselves healthy in general, 
by eating the best diets possible, by exercising possible. And by eating the best diets, I would say that the more plant-based we go, the better off we are. The lower risk we have of other types of diseases that can compound the effects of the virus. For example, if we eat more plant-based diets, we're less likely to be obese, less likely to have cancer, many forms of cancer, less likely to have diabetes. And we know that these other types of health conditions make it worse for people who do catch the virus. They're more likely to get a severe illness and more likely to die. And I heard on a podcast the other day that what we are experiencing now is the collapse of the biology of our planet. This is our Earth Day show today, Earth Day being next week on April the 22nd. Can you speak to us about this to help our listeners understand the way our ecosystems work and how they absolutely include the global population as a whole, rather than just pockets of individuals all over the world who might be doing their own thing and thinking that what they do doesn't play a part in this environmental collapse that a global pandemic can create? You know, one of the things I always say is, and it sounds so Pollyannish, but it's very true, is that what's good for animals is good for us. And basically, by treating other animals as the sentient individuals they are, treating them with dignity, with respect, being kind to them, we will also be kind to ourselves. And we are seeing evidence of the opposite. We're seeing what happens when we don't treat other animals as individuals in their own right. And we're seeing how that comes back to hurt us. And we're seeing that with COVID-19, we're seeing that with global warming, because we do know that factory farming, our voracious appetite for animals as meat, is a significant contributor to global warming. And it's a significant contributor to the pollution of our waterways, to the pollution of our air, to the pollution of our soil. And whether we're talking about chemical pollution or pollution with bacteria. So we're also seeing potential high risk of foodborne illnesses that are going to come out from factory farming. So we're seeing widespread repercussions that come about because of how we treat animals. And in addition to that, when, when I mentioned earlier, I talked about the wildlife trade. One of the problems is that the more we encroach on the natural habitats of other animals, the more we take away their natural habitats, the more we use it for our own purposes. And by the way, one of the largest human uses on in this planet is for factory farming, whether it's directly or indirectly for feed crop production. But the more we get rid of these natural habitats and the more we encroach upon other species' natural habitats, the more likely we are to be exposed to a virus that we may never have really been exposed to before. And this is what we saw with SARS. This is what we saw with Ebola. This is what we saw with HIV. This is what we saw with the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. This is what we saw with the Nipah virus, which came out about a decade ago and had a high case fatality rate. And this is what we're going to continue to see unless we fundamentally change how we think about not just ourselves as a society, but how we think about how we would want to relate with other species and how we want to treat our planet. Right. And I just heard a startling statement the other day on a podcast where an economist stated that there's a one in six chance that the human population could be wiped out, he said, in the next 100 years. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree? 
I haven't heard this economist, but I, I think we're, as a species, we're probably a bit more resilient than that. I don't think we will be wiped out. I think that's, that's probably overly pessimistic. But I do think that we have a at least a one in six chance for another pandemic to occur in the next 10 to 20 years that will not wipe out the entire human population, but wipe out a lot of us. Yeah, and I think that this is why it's so important to know, especially because this is our Earth Day show today. Earth Day is coming up next week on April the 22nd. But we are here on this Earth. We are all one. We share this huge ecosystem on planet Earth. And so what affects people in China actually affects people in North America and vice versa. And I feel that we humans just need to start understanding that and taking it seriously, right? You're, you're very, very right. There's so many humans on this planet now, too many, and we are traveling all over the place. And there's no such thing anymore as my pocket of the world and someone else's pocket of the world. It's all one world. And what one person does can affect the rest of the world. Well, we're being told to maintain a distance of two meters from everyone these days for the last month now. Social distancing measures may feel futile to some because we are seeing so many people obtain the virus, so people might think, what's the difference? Can you speak on the importance of maintaining a social distance of six feet over the course of the next several months versus if our societies were not to implement these measures? And how long can we expect to live this way for? Also, do you have any tips to avoid getting this very contagious virus in which I understand each infected person will infect two to two and a half people? Social distancing is extremely important. These viruses only get transmitted so many feet. And so, yeah, you can absolutely help protect yourself and protect others by distancing yourself from others. And collectively, if we follow these basic guidelines and follow the CDC's guidelines in social distancing, we will help minimize the number of new cases. And that will put less burden on our hospital and public health systems. And hopefully we'll get back to, if not completely normal, a near normal as soon as possible. So we need to follow these guidelines because what will happen is if we don't, there's a high risk that we will see a resurgence of new cases. And so we, we don't want to be premature in thinking that we're back to normal. We want to make sure that we truly have squashed the virus potential as much as possible in our population before we start ignoring these rules or, or flaunting them altogether. And I will say that as far as how long it will take, I don't know. It's, there's so many different projections. There's a fear that we might be able to dampen the numbers of new infections over the next month or so, but there may be a resurgence that will happen in the fall, especially if people don't follow some basic guidelines, if they forget to keep washing their hands, and if they just go back to normal as we were prior to COVID-19, that we could see another resurgence, another peak in cases happening again in the fall. So I think it's too soon for anyone really to predict how long we're going to be with this virus, but I suspect we're going to be with it for at least a couple of years as far as its potential to cause a resurgence within any given population. 
Well, thank you for that. It's important to know that we must maintain caution. I know that a lot of people are already getting cabin fever, and it's been only three or four weeks so far. We have to start learning to live in a different way for sure, and that's why we're doing this interview today because I want people to be able to have the education on how serious this really is and what we can do to make it end in the future. And future pandemics as well that we can avoid. So, finally, what words of advice would you like to impart to our listeners this Earth Day 2020 on our actions on the planet that can cause harmony or chaos, depending on how we decide to spend our money and consume and live in our society, especially when it comes to animals? So I would say that we don't have to wait for our governments to do the right thing <laughs> because we know that our governments will often not do the right thing. They will often do the wrong thing. And we each have the power in our own hands to make an impact and help protect our environment, help protect ourselves, and help protect animals. And one of the biggest things we can do is look at what we put on our dinner plates. And if we replace the meat, eggs, and dairy, With incredibly nutritious, delicious vegetables, grains, fruits, and beans, for example, we can truly help make a difference. We can help prevent the next pandemic by minimizing the conditions that create the emergence of new viruses. We can help protect ourselves, our own individual health, by minimizing our risk for new cancers, for strokes, for heart disease, for diabetes and obesity. And we can definitely help protect our planet by minimizing the global warming potential and the pollution of our environment. And so, again, I, I will just say this when we think about our everyday actions, it truly is very simple. Just think about it this way. What's good for animals is good for us. By treating animals well, we will also be better off. Thank you so much, Dr. Aisha Akhtar, for taking the time today to speak about zoonotic, that is, animal born diseases, pandemics, and our hopes for society in this new phase of a different life we are all experiencing now globally as a result of eating animals. I hope that this is something that our listeners will take to heart for this Earth Day coming up next week and beyond, of course. I encourage our listeners to listen to Dr. Akhtar's TED Talk on YouTube, which you can find both on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, and on our website, animalvoices.org. You can also visit Dr. Akhtar's website at www.aishaakhtar.com, and that's spelled A Y S H A A K H T A R.com. Thank you once again, Dr. Akhtar, and stay safe. Thank you so much, and I hope you and your family stay safe as well. You've been listening to the Animal Voices Radio Show on 100.5 FM Co op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us for next week's show on April the 24th. It is World Week for Animals in Laboratories next week. We here at the Animal Voices Show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website, animalvoices.org, as well as on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Join our Facebook page and Instagram, Animal Voices Vancouver, and send us a message to give us your feedback and ideas for the show. You can shoot an email to us at infoanimalvoices.org. At 
If you appreciate the work that we do here every week at Animal Voices to bring you original quality programming on the topics of current animal issues and the vegan lifestyle, now is the time to show your support during our spring fundraising drive if you can afford to do so during these difficult times. Any amount helps to keep Animal Voices on the air. It's Co-op Radio's birthday this week. We've been ruling the local airwaves for 45 years. We are all volunteer-run and listener-sponsored here at Vancouver Co-op Radio. If you are able to, you can make a donation to us at Animal Voices and Co-op Radio by going to coopradio.org to make a secure and tax-deductible contribution. You can also send an e-transfer to admin at coopradio.org or you can send a check or cash to Vancouver Co-op Radio, 370 Columbia Street, Vancouver, BC, V6A4J1. That's Vulture 6 Alligator 4 Jaguar 1. And remember to indicate on your donation that it's going towards Animal Voices. We thank you in advance for your contributions to help us spread the word of animal advocacy issues and compassionate living. To close the show for Earth Day and in accompaniment with today's theme on zoonotic diseases and pandemics, we present to you a vegan poetry jam by Toronto-based animal activist Jenny McQueen. This was a challenge from Jane Unchained News as part of National Poetry Month, and this poem, authored and performed by Jenny McQueen, is entitled Lockdown. Stay tuned next for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Stay safe, and remember to be kind to the animals. The human toll is truly frightening, so let's try and continue our work enlightening for animals are still suffering, and the ignorance and indifference is damn puzzling. This virus is of animal origin. It's zoonotic. Just hear the list. COVID-19, SARS, MERS, HIV, Ebola, E. coli, Salmonella, mad cow disease, swine flu. As animal rights activists, what can we do? We can try our best to break through the deep conditioning that lets people think it's okay to eat animals, to use and abuse. I don't say this to accuse. I try to say this with empathy. I say continue speaking up, informing, educating, no matter how frustrating. This is a horrifying lockdown. Humans are suffering. We're seeing them drown. Their lungs are filling with virus. It's terrifying. Their loved ones, the frontline healthcare workers, the world is crying. This virus is not discriminating. This is not karma. This is not a conspiracy of 5G or Big Pharma. Let's do all we can to let people know. It's not only wildlife, wet markets. Not only pangolins, monkeys, civet cats, bats. Animal agriculture in our own countries are keeping animals in disgusting sheds. There's filth everywhere, disease, death, suffering. This is not fake news, these are facts. So please, do your best. We're in this together, we're fighting the same disease, we cannot rest. Human apathy, 
Governments that seem willfully ignorant of big business, who will still try and fool us with their ads. For hamburgers, cheese, for eggs, for animal flesh, for fur, for bacon. Without us, the animals are forgotten, forsaken. We can support the organisations campaigning for animals, the environment, our health. We can support the sanctuaries healing the animals who made it out of hell. We can take comfort in the companies working to replace the flesh, the fur, the animal tests. We can support the activists facing arrests. Exposing the truth of animal abuse should never be a crime. Am I an optimist? I still say I hope to see animal liberation in my lifetime. Thank you. This is your big chance, so don't blow it. We're here to present the cutting-edge radio you want to hear. What about a program featuring just local Vancouver bands? No market for that. We have an expert on gospel music. No. Our public affairs programs dig deep with voices other stations won't touch. No. Programs with First Nations hosts? Sorry, no market for that. We've got a lot of shows in other languages for people all over the world. Folk music? (laughs) You're kidding, right? Who would sponsor that? Can't make big bucks with programs people want to hear? You have to go to Co-op Radio for that. Community-owned radio. Now at 100.5 FM. The switch is on. (laughs) 